0: Welcome Bible Chapel. It's good to see so many of you here in the South Hills and I want to welcome all our campuses. Join us right now for the service. So welcome Robinson, Ross Draver, Washington, Wilkinsburg, DeBerry, and of course, all of you joining us through our online campus. We are blessed each weekend to come together and study God's word together as one church. So let's pray. Let's pray and ask God to lead us uh, in his word. Father, we come before you and thank you for today. We thank you for this opportunity again each weekend in the midst of, of worshiping in different communities that you have placed the Bible Chapel, that through the gift of technology, whether someone's at one of our campuses as we speak or whether they are uh, online uh, at home, God, or that you, we are gathered together in unity by the power of your spirit. Father, we just sang here in the South Hills, there is no rival, there is no equal to the name of Jesus Christ. And God, we wanna give the Lord and your son, God, Jesus Christ, God, we wanna give you the praise that you are due every day. And that includes right now. As we study your word, we pray that you would teach us as only you can. So let the words that come out of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be honoring and pleasing to you, O God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in 2018, Gallup did a survey in our country. And uh, they asked uh, the questions uh, to Americans, how do they feel the moral state of our country was going? They've done... This survey for about 16 years, it started in 2002, and in 2018, 49% of Americans said that the values, the morality of our country was poor. That was the, the highest percentage in those 16 years. In that same survey, 77% of Americans said that they believed that the morality in our country was also declining year to year. To no surprise, maybe you, you hear similar statements that I hear today, such as, this generation is going to hell in a handbag. Or, our country has never been so far from God. Now, I would agree that our nation desperately needs God's word, desperately needs Jesus Christ, and I would ask has it really been any different in any other era in history? When we look back at different eras in history, could we say that we are worse today than we were back then? Let me, let me describe, let me describe some words to describe another era in human civilization and see if they are just as bad as us today. Here's were the words to describe them. Deception, jealousy, Fear, anger, murder, shame, blame, division, pride, lust, sexual immorality, idolatry, wickedness, regret, grief, corruption, violence, evil, death, judgment. I don't know you, but I would say, yeah, that is pretty bad. Just as bad as we find ourselves today. Can anyone guess what era I just described? Genesis chapter 3 through Genesis chapter 6. The beginning of human civilization. From the fall of man with Adam and Eve to the flood with Noah. Because no matter what era you find yourself in, the root problem of humanity is the same. We are sinners to the core. We are born with a sin nature, and we desperately need the redemption of Jesus Christ. Two weeks ago, we kicked off this year-long series we are doing entitled His Story My story. And we looked at Genesis 1 and 2 the past two weeks, and we saw that God is the mighty creator, and God is the foundation of community. When we look at God's word, it's actually not all about us. There is one central figure and subject of the Bible, God himself. And as we look at God's story, then and only then can we truly understand our story. Today we're going to look and examine it in Genesis chapter 3 and focus on that God is a God of redemption. And there's multiple words in scripture in the Hebrew and the Greek to refer to that word redeem, but the overarching theme of that word redeem is to buy out, to atone for or to deliver. And starting in Genesis chapter 3, we will see that God begins to write his redemption story. And we'll see that when a person trusts in Jesus Christ alone as their Lord and Savior, what God redeems them from, what God redeems them by, what it was the means, and what does God redeem them to? That's our focus this weekend. So if you have your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 3. Whether you have your physical word or on your digital device, we're going to be camping out there most of our time together. As we set the context, let me remind you the last verse of Genesis chapter 2 where we leave off before the fall. Verse 25 of Genesis 2, Scripture says, "...and the man Adam and his wife Eve were both naked and were not ashamed." That's the picture of pure innocence before God and one another. Before Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve lived in perfect community with God and in perfect community with one another. And then comes Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3.1, suddenly a serpent appears in the text and we know, since we have the full scope of Scripture, that this serpent is Satan himself, whom in Revelation is described twice as the ancient serpent. And God was crystal clear with Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 2 that they could they can inclu- uh, enjoy all of the garden, but they could not eat of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he was clear. If they disobeyed, he said, quote, you shall Surely die. Satan, whom Jesus in John chapter eight called a liar and the father of lies, does what he does best, which is challenge and twists God's word. And he leads off with this simple phrase, did God really say, and even Adam given to the bait. They disobey God. Sin enters the human race. Remember, they were naked and unashamed. And once they gave in, sin entered the human race. Listen to the experience now. Verses 7 and 8 of Genesis chapter 3. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Starting right here with Adam and Eve in our sin, we attempt to hide from God. But we saw in our series on the attributes of God that God is omnipresent and we cannot hide from the presence of God. And as you continue reading Genesis chapter 3, God reveals the serious consequences of sin. Both in this life now, including physical death, but ultimately the consequence of spiritual separation from God for eternity. Scripture is clear because of that moment with Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man. All of us are born now into sin. Romans 5 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. We don't become sinners because one day we sinned. No, we sin naturally because we are born into sin. Yet in the midst, in the midst of paradise lost in Genesis chapter three, we get our first glimpse of God's redemption story. After first cursing the snake itself in Genesis 3:14 because it was the vehicle that Satan used to deceive even Adam. In Genesis 3:15, God curses Satan himself and delivers the amazing proclamation. Look at verse 15, Genesis chapter 3. Speaking to Satan, God says, "I will put enmity between you and the woman." In between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This moment in scripture in the Greek is called the proto-evangelium. Proto meaning first, evangelium meaning gospel. This is the first glimpse we have in scripture of the cross, The offspring of Satan are the forces of evil against God. The the offspring of the woman is first Cain, representing all humanity, and through humanity would come the Son of God, born in flesh, Jesus Christ. Your Bible might say the seed. In the ESV that I read, it says he, that's a singular individual pointing to Jesus Christ. Right here, immediately after the fall, we get the first glimpse of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That at the cross, through the suffering of Jesus, Satan would strike his heel. But through his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus would crush Satan's head. God would have final and ultimate victory through Jesus Christ. God does not leave us hanging with a cliffhanger in Genesis chapter 3. What is God going to do? What hope does man have? Right off the bat, God reveals his eternal redemption story in Jesus Christ. God was not surprised at the fall of man. Jesus was always his plan of redemption, and there never was and never will be a plan B. Jesus Is God's redemption for man. And right here in the midst of Genesis 3, we we begin to see the full scope of the gospel. The first thing we see is what does God redeem people from? Well, scripture is clear that God redeems people from their sin and ultimately death. Remember, back in Genesis chapter 2, God was clear death was the penalty of sin. Yet right here in Genesis chapter 3, just with Adam and Eve alone, we get the first picture of a substitutionary sacrifice in place of the life of man. Genesis 3.21, we see it says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. God took the life of an animal to cover Adam and Eve. And that physical covering of the garments of the animal's skin was, more importantly, a picture of the spiritual covering that God had given them by the sacrifice of the life of the animal so that they may continue to live. Adam and Eve right away got it, the consequence of their sin. Another life had to be taken in order for them to continue to live. And in addition, in addition, right there in that verse... God begins to reveal not just what God redeems people from, but by what means, what satisfies the wrath of God. It's one word in scripture, blood. Blood sacrifice. Blood in a being represents their life. And the shed blood of the animal's sacrifice for Adam and Eve appeased the wrath of God as that substitutionary sacrifice in place of their life. And as we read the Old Testament, as we'll do in this series, this system of substitutionary death through the sacrifice of an animal was in place throughout the Old Testament. Leviticus 17.1, for the life of a creature is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Israel, whether in the tabernacle or the temple, year after year had to give these blood sacrifices to keep atoning and covering them for their sin. Can you imagine that? That constant reminder of their sin and the constant reminder that their Savior had not yet come. And scripture is clear that the the blood sacrifice of the animal could never fully atone for the sin of man. Hebrews chapter 10, three and four. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, in his love, as God first told us in Genesis 3, 15, he did send his son. Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, fully God, fully man. He became the one and only perfect sacrifice for sin. And by his perfect sacrifice, his shed blood, that final redemption had come. See, God redeems people by the blood of Jesus Christ. We can never forget the great cost For our redemption. As the writer in Hebrews goes on to say, Jesus redeems people not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. And listen to this. Thus securing an eternal redemption. No more sacrifices needed. Jesus' shed blood was the final, the final sacrifice needed to atone for your sins and for mine. Ephesians 1.7, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And I love how the shed blood of Christ is that is that center point in Scripture that connects us from Genesis to Revelation as believers and followers of Yahweh our Lord? Romans chapter four, Paul uh, reminds us. You know, some might have wondered, uh, "What about Old Testament believers? What about Old Testament believers? Were they justified by the law because the Savior had not come? H- how are they saved?" And Paul connects. Old Testament believer with New Testament believer saying it's the same process. They are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 4, 22 through 25, after he just broke down, that is saved by faith, not by works. Listen to how Paul connects Abraham to you and I, New Testament believers. That is why his, Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that was counted to him, Abraham, was not for his own sake, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, Jesus, who was raised, past tense for us, from the dead, Jesus our Lord. Who was delivered, past tense, for our trespasses and raised, past tense, for us, for our justification. Paul is saying the blood of Christ Does the same redemption for Abraham and Moses and David as it did for Paul and Peter and you and I. For the Old Testament believer, their redemption was them not claiming their own righteousness before God, but trusting in the Christ to come. Their redemption was looking forward to the cross, trusting in the one who would redeem them by his blood. We live on the other side of the cross, the same faith. We give faith in the one who has come whose blood was shed, and by faith in Jesus, we have redemption by the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus is by which, whether you are in the Old Testament or New Testament, that one receives redemption before God. We're redeemed from sin and death. We are redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ and we're redeemed to something. God's got stuff for us to do. Scripture is clear. For those who have trusted in Jesus, we are redeemed people to new life in Jesus Christ now and for eternity. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I am a new life spiritually for eternity, and that newness begins the moment I trust in Jesus Christ. My my eternity with God starts now. The moment I trust in Jesus. Second Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he's not a better creation. No, you are a transformed new creation. You're old. Think about all your sin. Gone. Gone. The new has come. And when a believer truly grasps all that God has done for them through the redemption work of Jesus Christ, it should cause us to throw off every hindrance, every hindrance that holds us back the following heart after Jesus. When we understand the great cost it was, that Jesus Christ was shed His blood for you and I, when we realize, as Galatians tells us, the curse that belonged to us was placed on him, on the cross. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is risen. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Your sin, my sin placed on Jesus Christ, redeemed by his blood. That's why Diedrich Bonhoeffer, early 20th century theologian and pastor who died in a Nazi, concentration camp. He said, when I realized the great cost of Christ, I realized my response back to God cannot be cheap, not to earn his salvation. But when I truly grasp the redemption power of the blood of Jesus Christ, my response must be costly as well. Diedrich says this, such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it's grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. Yet it's grace because it gives a man really the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin. And it's grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. Ye was bought with a price. And what cost God much, Diedrich says, cannot be cheap for us, church. Above all, it is grace because God loved you so much. He did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. When I hear that quote from Bonhoeffer, I'm reminded of the position of Paul's heart. In Galatians chapter two, verse 20, Paul says, when I trusted in Jesus, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I believe Paul here is not just talking about his spiritual state that he's in Christ. I believe he's talking about his practical daily faith. I belong to Christ now. Everything's for him. Every moment's captive for him when I've realized that Christ has done for me the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the son of God why he loved me and he gave himself up for me God's word tells us God's word tells us that at the second coming of Jesus his full redemption story will be complete not only has Christ finished the work for us to have salvation in him alone One day he will return and he will make all things new. A new heaven and new earth. But here's the deal. Until he returns, he's still writing his redemption story. He's still writing it. And here's the beautiful truth of scripture. You know how useful you are to God? You know how much you matter to God? Listen to this. God desires to use your redemption story to continue writing his redemption story. If you ever let yourself think, my testimony is not powerful enough for God to use, that is garbage from the enemy. Your testimony is powerful. Your testimony is unbelievable. God doesn't need to use us to draw someone to himself, but he desires to use us. And he has commanded us To go, Mark 16, 15, starting with his disciples who who represented the church leaders, he said, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Now, my wife will tell you, I'm not the best with geography. I'm really not. But I'm pretty sure the whole creation to preach the gospel to includes my family, my friends, students your classmates, my communities. Robinson, I'm pretty, pretty sure the whole creation is every community surrounding Robinson, Wilkinsburg community, Washington community, Rostraver community, the Berry community, every square inch of the South Hills to go, Panama, Kenya, Thailand. God says, go and tell my story through your redemption story, so through the people I have strategically put in your life, I can write more redemption stories as you tell my redemption story. I've heard believers say at times, man, I just wish I had a more powerful testimony like so-and-so. Are you kidding me? You have the most powerful testimony in the world. We all have the same core basis to our testimony. John said it in 1 John 5, 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And that life is through his son. We all were dead in our sin. It doesn't matter if you gave your life to Christ when you were seven or 70. We were dead in our sin. And God, through the power of his spirit, made us alive in Jesus Christ. His ridiculous love for you redeemed you by the blood of his son. And he calls you to a new life in him. So here's the deal. Never forget this. Your redemption story is unbelievable. Your redemption story is powerful. Not because of what you did for Jesus, but because of what Jesus Christ did for you. That's what makes your testimony powerful. And I want, to be, I want to be gentle with this moment, but after the week we've had in our country <laughs> and praying and, and, and asking the Lord to, to meet us this week, I want to say, is voting important? Absolutely. Is researching and supporting a candidate who has biblical values and biblical principles? Absolutely. And... More important for the church than putting a stake in our yard for a political candidate is this time right now to put the stake in the ground for Jesus Christ, to say there's no one else I trust. You need to hear my redemption story. You need to hear what Jesus did for me. You need to know that that no matter what happens here, my ultimate hope was never in a person in Washington, D.C. My, My ultimate hope was never in a person in Harrisburg. Or our county seat in, in Washington or Westmoreland or Allegheny County. My hope has always been in Jesus Christ. That's what the world needs to hear more than anything the next three months. The world needs to hear the redemption story of Jesus. And God has chosen to use your redemption story to keep telling his redemption story. Will we go? Will we go and say, let me tell you what the shed blood of Jesus Christ did for me. I'm gonna let the campuses take over locally. Right here, right now, I wanna invite you all to stand in the South Hills. And if you're at home, stand with us as well. Because here's the beauty, here we go, we go together. You don't go by yourself. We go as one body called the bride of Christ that Jesus redeemed by his blood. So we're gonna end uh, today singing together a song that I believe just simply proclaims the gospel. It says, I was dead in my sin, nowhere to go. But when I trusted in Jesus, I became alive. I became alive. And the greatest freedom I needed, I found in Christ. And we can go to a lost world. We can go to a lost world right now who desperately needs to know I'm free, I'm free, forever I'm free. And as we share our redemption story, pointing to God's redemption story, you know what we're doing? We're saying this as we're about to sing. Come join the song of all the redeemed. Come on, come join the song of those redeemed in Jesus Christ.